Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio, he's mine forever. It's Andy Greenwald! Wow. Wow. What a sweet, sweet thing to say. Greenwald, it's great to see you. Uh, great to see the United States of America thriving on its birthday. I know that there's been a lot of like, uh, yeah. I think people are expecting things from this podcast. Much like my boy Jon Snow. They're, they're waiting for me to pull the sword against the oncoming hordes. Uh, we'll get to that later. The finale of The Idol. Uh, we are going to talk a little uh-huh. bit We'll have Andy's labor corner, right? We'll do a little strike talk. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then we wanted to discuss this article in a little periodical called The New Yorker magazine. Mm-hmm. A scrappy startup. About Greta Gerwig, uh, the, the filmmaker Greta Gerwig. And obviously, her she's got Barbie coming, but this piece was about Mattel, the toy company, mm-hmm. and their, their big screen dreams and their ideas about uh, adapting their inanimate objects to, mm-hmm. uh, to cinema. And the sort of decision facing a lot of creatives and filmmakers in Hollywood right now where it's like IP is the only thing that gets you in the door. So how do you how do you bring the joy of storytelling mm. to a deck of cards or a board game or a toy or whatever? And I don't mean to sound cynical. That's what we're striking for, really. Is it? Is that one of your, t- your planks? Is like, I don't want to adapt the Uno game? <laughs> I, know, I mean, I would love an opportunity to even be in the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. So how are you? How was your weekend? Great, you know, I I'm big baseball family. Went back to the game. Went yeah. back to the game. You want to um, you want to air out some of your feelings about Dodgers fans and their etiquette? I just feel like no. First of all, yeah. I'm just thrilled to be part of Let this. Let you is without sin. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cast the first F bomb, Philadelphian. <laughs> I, I just want to say, Philadelphia gets a bad rap. Uh huh. You know, like I feel like in my experiences going to see baseball games in Philadelphia, it's just kind of a lot of like crusty 
salt of the earth people just marking down Von Hayes in their box score. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. They're just real like X's and O's, like let's move the runner along and then I'll punch you in the face if you disagree kind of people. Right. There is a just, there, there, there is a violence in Dodger Stadium, particularly <laughs> on fireworks night. That was really, um, you know, something. And yet, yet I keep going back to touch the flame. I keep going back to touch the flame. So you mean a violence like guys trying to get good angles to see to see the well, fireworks or just like people who are pissed off about like the fact that, that, that they they're were, underperforming? Yeah. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I think, um, first of all, it was a good game. You know, a, a, a back and forth affair between the the Pirates of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the home team. And when we arrived, there was a guy sitting next to us who was a big Pirates fan. Ooh. Big, 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 kind of just just Wiz Khalifa drip, you okay. know, head to toe. <laughs> and he was real loud about the Pirates, you know, who took an early lead. And they were banging the seats. Oh, really? Banging okay. the seats, which, you know, again, my daughters don't love. Uh-huh. Don't love acts of, of, of sound violence towards uh-huh. them. And at first I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be a problem. But then, you know, he had a couple like bright blue frozen drinks and then we, you know, there's a way to behave as a visiting fan that I think is fine, where you're like, you're enjoying the highs. Were, they, were those drinks like 20% CBD? Because usually when people have the bright blue drinks, they get, they like to have a little bit louder percussion. That's a great point. Yeah. But in the same way that if you're hyperactive, Ritalin makes you more balanced. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I think that's, that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's what worked on this Waiting guy. for that to kick in for me. <laughs> it's been 20 years strong. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. No, so uh, there's a way to behave. As you know, we used to go to Shea Stadium, you know, wearing Von Hayes jerseys. So we know uh-huh. that you can be like, you can take the heat if you bring that energy. Yeah. You know? so, I, for, so, for just so you know, I've never went to that shithole, by the way. You, you went with me. We to went. Shea? Yeah. Okay. You don't, you don't, you were too much Ritalin back then. You hadn't quite <laughs> tweaked, just tweaked the, the uh, prescription. Um, so he was. He, he became like he was a good sport. And meanwhile, there was a guy a couple rows back, who I believe is one of the original sons of anarchy. Uh-huh. You know, before before the studio got involved, it was like, no, no, we got to pretty this up for Hollywood. And his approach as a Dodger fan was just to scream at every event. Okay. And so anytime a pirate player approached home plate, he just started screaming with a real aggressive voice, just sit down, sit, sit down. down, and. I was trying to explain to my daughters that that would just be like forfeiting the game. Like, they can't do that. That's just not useful <laughs> like, Dad, information. Dad, why don't they listen to him? Well, the, the main, the real issue, and I, okay, so this is a dad corner for you, and then we're going to get into okay. the idol. But when one of the, you know, the, the, the people, why don't you call them? They're, they're like ball boys in tennis, but there's some like people who work for the team who are on the, the tracks and like when a ball is foul or they're, whatever at the end of the game. They're inning, also called ball boys. Are they, well, they toss it yeah. to the fans. Yes. And so someone tossed it into the crowd near where we were sitting. And it fell like a few rows ahead of where me and my, my boys were sitting. <laughs> and the guy behind me yelled, you throw like a girl. Okay. Which is, th- so, you know, me being kind of an alpha, mm-hmm. I, I probably like- Did you lodge a complaint? I turned around like maybe 45 degrees. So uh-huh. it could have been just into the ether. And I believe I just involuntarily said, dude. And then what did he say? Nothing. He didn't hear me. He was okay. like six rows back. <laughs> okay. But my younger daughter then, anytime the guy yelled for the rest of the game, which was, you know, like six innings, was like, say dude again. <laughs> say dude to him again. And I was like, you want smoke? And I was like trying to game out the scenarios. Like, is it good for these young women to see their father beaten to a pulp at Dodger <laughs> Stadium for feminism? Oh, man. Can I be a hashtag ally? And not say anything else. What would you do in that situation? I'm actually pretty non-confrontational, to be honest. I think I'm pretty good at 
bringing the temperature down. You are. You're like cooler. If, if two like guys are getting in a fight, I'm like, hey, come on, who wants to go to jail tonight? You know, like, but if... Have, have you said that before? I like saying that. <laughs> I like saying and it And I don't mean it like, you know, like who wants to go to jail tonight? Like I'm driving, but... Uh, That's I'm how buying. I say it, yeah. But I mean it like, come on, who wants to get in real trouble at a stupid fucking bar or whatever, you know? Right. But I'm not good at being like, hey, man, Watch the language yeah. at Dodger Stadium. The rhetoric I, is a little overheated. I assume yeah. when I pay my several hundred dollars to it's go true. to a baseball it's game true. that all bets are off and that it's kind of Fury Road out there and you have to just First sort of, of all, the watch you is sponsored. You go as fast as the road goes. The watch is sponsored by FanDuel. All bets are not off. Yeah, that's right. Second, well, I think that that's, that's kind of beautiful. That that's, that's Now, do you feel like you, does this disqualify you from your upcoming gig as moderator of the Republican primary debate? <laughs> Because I know that because you've been I, kind of like, do I? That would be good if I was just like walked up first question. Who, <laughs> who wants, wants to go to jail? jail I think we know who wins. <laughs> okay, all right. So next time I just go with you and protect. The reason why you're at so many baseball games is because I'm a sportsman. Is because you you continue to strike. That was pretty good. Thanks. Because you now you you find yourself with this free time. Usually you spend every mm-hmm. waking moment yep. writing. That's true. Um, it is an addiction and it is a passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So right now we're at one strike, but what you're asking me is, will there be two will strikes? Will there be two strikes? Because the WGA is on strike and now we're getting some, some saber rattling from actors. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Um, yeah. So if, if I just, I don't know if people were following it. Like all three major guilds were all up at the same time, which is something the studios want. Their contracts against were up. each other. Yeah, yeah. Their deals were up. So obviously, Writers, we've been striking for almost two months at this point. Uh, the directors obviously did not strike and are happy to get back to work uh, without writers yeah. and potentially without actors. So the SAG deal was was coming, and it seemed like it was heading towards a quick resolution, which was disappointing to some of the um, pirate fans <laughs> that we know out here. And I think Fran Drescher, who is the head of SAG, released a statement still, being like, still not used to it. No, it's it's really surprising. Was like, um, things are going great. She was like, we're kicking ass. Like, we're really close, right? Yeah. yeah. And then a bunch of the more um, agitated members of SAG circulated a letter being like, do not just take a good deal. Like, this is a unique opportunity. Some pretty to- big names, too. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence. Yep. Rami Malek. And then eventually Fran Drescher. Yeah, which I love that. Who's just like, I agree with the I was gonna people. do do a bit today where like I had a petition to me mm-hmm. to replace you. <laughs> but I signed it. I would sign it too. <laughs> this would be the fastest petition ever. Yeah. I'm finally gonna convince Bill to start a baseball podcast. I feel like I've been auditioning for two weeks now and I've got a really good angle where yeah. I don't talk about the game at all. So there was a more restive flank saying, like, do not take a good deal. This is a unique opportunity to really make something uh, substantial happen, particularly if we unite with the writers mm-hmm. and move the ball forward for both flanks. Yeah. Uh, no, I keep saying flank. It's like I was at San Anita horse track or something. <laughs> anyway, everything that I was sort of being told or that I'd heard from people, quote unquote, in the know who claimed to be in the know was that a deal was imminent. Um, with the actors. With the actors. And then... A deal didn't get done on, I believe, Friday was the deadline. Yeah, they had a they had a July first deadline. A twelve day extension was announced, which was it's something of a misnomer because the way California or Hollywood specifically works is they love a holiday. Yes, yeah. So it like it's not uncommon here to be like, 
as Thanksgiving approaches, it's like, see you next year. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm on vacation today. So the idea that it was 12 days, it's more like five, right? With weekends. Like business, business working yeah, days? Yeah, kind of. Um, either way, it did seem like a delay was a relatively good thing for those rooting for a deal. I've since heard that that might not be... This is all rumor. I don't know anything. I am not an actor. Uh, and I and I, I don't know anyone who's in that room. But the but the the rumors that are circulating is that they were very close to, to a deal on all points except AI, mm-hmm. which is a big sticking point for writers as well. And that there might not be movement there. And that there actually could be a strike. Yeah. Which would be... Obviously, I'm not going to pretend I'm not biased. That would be great for the writers if the actors were to strike as well. That would move things along... That's your read, is that if the actors were to go on strike, this whole thing gets resolved more quickly because of the the combined sort of negotiating power. That's not just me saying that. I think that it's the combined negotiating power, and also, unlike writers, actors are famous. Can you guys all stop AI? Uh, Together? Yeah. I mean, you know, smaller amounts of people have stopped AI in in movies. That's true. So Just Sarah Connor did. Yeah, so (laughs) I feel like together. (laughs) Or did she? The, um, well... Wait to the reboot to find out. I mean, so we're getting, the writers are getting emails being like, you know, here's the picketing schedule for this week. Fingers crossed that this is the last week. This is the last week where we're the most attractive people on strike in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And when you think about it, the AI thing is 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 very challenging to, to wrap your head around because the reasons for writers to be appalled by it and actors are strong, but quite different, you know, because obviously... I know you've seen the Indiana Jones movie, unlike most of America. I have Uh, have not seen it. I still want to see it. But the way you've described it is that, like, the whole first part is essentially AI Harrison Ford, even though he was there. Yeah, I I thought it was Irishman uh, Harrison Ford. Apparently, it was. I mean, obviously, with Harrison Ford and James Mangold, the filmmakers, you know, they they agreed to do this. But it it was essentially they, like, scraped all of Harrison Ford's indie performances and then created like a kind of Ghost in the Machine version of indie, I think voiced by Harrison Ford, which you can tell because it's like, ah, oh, that's an 80-year-old man speaking for a 41-year-old man's right. face. Yeah. So so they scraped it. Is that also why Lucasfilm limited access to previous Indiana Jones movies this weekend? Because I've heard scraping is a problem. Did they? Well, I heard that's what happened with Twitter, right? There was a lot of scraping. Oh, yeah, good joke. No, Thanks. I... That was a pretty uh, good joke. I, I mean, I actually like... I So my... I don't really need to get on on this, but... I obviously like any person and sort of mildly mm-hmm. addicted to Twitter. So I had done this big thing where I was like, I'm going to sign out of it mm-hmm. and I'll just look at like Woj or Maggie Haberman. Like I'll just go that, to that, individual that's called the accounts. Greenwald. Yeah. And now you can't do that unless you're signed in. Mm-hmm. Plus if you do sign in, there was like the, the sort of metered thing. I, that actually never hit me for some reason, but I you know like, I know some people were like, now I'm out of Twitter to look at. I would also say that if you are trying to regulate and make the riddle and work, only looking at Woj and Maggie Haberman is not really going to mellow you in any tangible way. Like, there are other accounts they are going to be a lot chiller than those two firebrands. Uh, so, I guess what I mean is, well, we've been talking about AI in terms of writers being like, this computer is going to write this episode of um, whatever, uh, Big Bang Theory, yeah. which is off the air, but you get my point. Right. I think when we say AI and talking about actors, it's a whole universe of made-up shit. Not just the place where we already are, where I would imagine there's this every single shot of the upcoming Mission Impossible movie is a CG shot to just make Tom Cruise look a little bit younger. Like, that's pretty much an open secret. People know things like that happen. Mm -hmm. I think we're already entering into a more disturbing place where filmmakers in post could be like, I love this performance. In take five is the best one. But in take five, 
he doesn't do that little smile. Can we make him do that smile in take five? Yeah. And change the performance in post, which is disturbing on a lot of levels and certainly disturbing for actors who give their all and then hope that that's all there is to work with. The only reason why I would be pro this Mm -hmm. happening is just to hear the stories about what Fincher was doing with it. Oh, my God. Where he would just be like, take one million and six. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) my God. I decided to remove this guy's molar. I I also think, though, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. But one thing about Fincher, from what I've heard from people who have worked with him and who have survived and still want to talk about working with him, is that in his maniacal, controlling way, he loves actors. Yeah. Like, he doesn't think of them as automatons that do the beats the way he wants them. He's... Wants, he just works the shit out of them. He wants them to behave like human beings. That yeah. Matt Damon thing on Bill's pod was just like yeah. the most amazing thing where he goes to the set of Gone Girl. Yes. And like there's a whole like difficult setup in a bookstore. Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck are in like the foreground. And like they start and Fincher's just like raging about an extras, like how they walk. He's yeah. like, who the fuck walks like that? <laughs> exactly. So this idea that everyone creatively is on board with just being able to machine stamp everything, I yeah. think is, yeah. is is false. But anyway, I hope the actors strike. I think that would be amazing. It would it would change things in a significant when way. When do you think all the uh, cartoons in Quantum Mania will get, get a union and be like, you know, we, we have always been computer generated? Well, uh, the, the beauty <laughs> of Quantum Mania is that it was a limitless imaginative universe and there were like six squid people yeah. and, and Chidi from The Good Place. <laughs> That was the limits of the imagination of that movie. So I don't think it would take long to unionize that. It feels it feels dark out there. You know, I think Dial of Destiny is a movie I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Raiders or Last Crusade, but um, I was fine with it. I think I've also accepted that most blockbusters now feel the need to be two and a half hours long. That yeah. is not really the indie recipe. Your indie movies are usually like 205, like bang, in and out. But I was, you know, I... It doesn't, I don't know what success even is anymore. You know, I, I understand that this movie probably costs like quarter of a billion dollars to market. I think if they could have done it over, they probably wouldn't have premiered it in front of a bunch of French film critics. That was weird. But the word of mouth obviously didn't send that thing into the stratosphere. I also wonder whether or not, like, when we talked about this on the on the last Crusade Rewatchables, like, Indiana Jones is as old now as, like, the movies Indiana Jones was Mm -hmm. uh, paying homage to were to Indiana Jones. So you're asking people who, like, I don't think that Indiana Jones has, like, been traded down through the generations the way Star Wars has, for whatever reason. Correct. Uh, Possibly because, and we we find this all the time when we talk to younger people, they're like, the prequels are my favorite Star Wars movies. You know what I mean? Like they Oh, because it was seeded throughout their lives? Yeah, or or that's just, like, what they're into. You know what I mean? Like, it's... There's also nothing... There is no larger Indiana Jones canon. You know, there is no, like, expanded universe with other characters. It is a very specific homage to a Earthbound. Well, I guess Crystal Skull kind of got a little past that, but it's... They stayed on Earth, though. But they stayed on Earth, and it is... The entire thing is, is, to your point, it's old, right? It was George Lucas and Steven Spielberg being like, this is what we loved when we were kids. Yeah. And now they are continuing to produce something that was when we were kids and we're not young. Right. So I think that we, we're in a little bit of a, a, I don't know if it's a doom cycle with that, but like if George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are paying homage to the things that you're saying, mm-hmm. like when they're children and we're paying homage 
to George Lucas and Steven oh, yeah. Spielberg. Like you get into a little bit of a loop there that's kind of complicated. This is, segues very well into this Mattel article that I wanted to talk about. And I think another piece of that to what you're just saying is the secret, the secret sauce behind Top Gun Maverick being the phenomenon that it was is not easily repeatable and it is not a one-to-one to Indiana Jones. I think you could take away was the nostalgia factor and you hit it and you hit all the right beats, you'll get all those people back to the theater to celebrate the ride one last time. I don't think that's true. I think, first of all, the, the Maverick thing was partly fueled by we're coming out of the pandemic, let's all go have a great fucking time. Mm-hmm. I think that is irreplaceable, hopefully, until the next one anyway. But the bigger thing to me is Tom Cruise is still a movie star. The, yeah. and, 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 I, and I think yeah. the, I think you don't need to condition or recondition audiences to say Tom Cruise is going to do some wild-ass shit in the movie theater and it's worth paying for. And it's going to feel real. And it's going to feel real. I think that that experience is pretty unique, but it speaks to the, it's not the relevance of Top Gun. It's the relevance somehow still of Tom Cruise, who's now 61 years old. Happy right. birthday just this past week. So, yeah, we're we're in trouble. Okay, so this article that we were, I've been alluding to is by uh, Alex Baroshin. It's really quite fascinating. It's essentially an account of how Mattel, the toy company, um, has been inviting filmmakers to come to their offices and they've like literally thrown open the toy box. And and they say, like, what interests you? What's your take on this? What could, what could we do here? And um, they've worked with or are working with J.J. Abrams, The Rock, of course, Greta Gerwig, who's got the Barbie movie coming soon and is now on track to make $100 million in its opening weekend, dwarfing Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, and at least in tracking. And then they also, Mattel also has like an in-house writer's room who are spinning up concepts for various things. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Gerwig's career is kind of like traced out in a really fascinating way that I don't think a lot of people had thought about her in this context, especially if you had kind of grown up watching her in mumblecore movies Mm -hmm. and appearing and doing things like Frances Ha and Lady Bird. It might come as a little bit of a surprise to you that she's like, you know, and I, I think actually, for as interesting as she is in this piece, her agent, um, Jeremy this Barber, Jeremy guy named Jeremy Barber, works at UTA, was actually the best quote. You know, in the piece, more agents. We got to get agents to the forefront. You know what I mean? One of my agents is desperate to come on this podcast, <laughs> and he has a flaming hot uh, take on a popular TV show. Oh, on the Idol. No, that, that that are there hot take the hot take you had the hot take on the idol. No <laughs> one's coming near your flame. Um, here's some stuff from Jeremy Barber that I just thought I'd throw out there. Mm-hmm. Quote, Greta and I have been very consciously constructing a career. Her ambition is to be not the biggest woman director, but a big studio director. And Barbie was a piece of IP that was resonant to her. Mm-hmm. He goes on later, and so this is not in the same context, but it, Quote, is it a great thing that our great creative actors and filmmakers live in a world where you can only take giant swings around consumer content and mass-produced products, he said. I don't know, but it is the business. So if that's what people will consume, then let's make it more interesting and more complicated. I admire this. He also wondered aloud whether such directors as Hal Ashby and Sidney Pollack would be making movies with Mattel if they were still alive today. Quote, it's a super interesting question. It's also an argument we've lost already. Yeah, for what it's worth, I don't think Jeremy suggested Sidney Pollack and Hal Ashby. It sounds like the yes, reporter was right. like, let me throw two names at you yeah. of master filmmakers. Okay. Uh, so he also, at one point, described the guy who is basically the CEO CEO of Mattel as like a Medici, which is, do you want me to do a little Medici 
breakdown? Or? I, I love it. He was like a toolsy middle infielder for the Dodgers in the 80s. But the Dometicis <laughs> were the sort of, they, they, they were the, the, the patrons of the arts. Yeah. They were extremely rich. And yeah. They were and this is a, this, so this is a centuries old relationship between art and commerce. Like we, yeah. like, um, you re- read this piece this morning. How, how did it make you feel as a writer, but also as somebody who talks about culture for a living? Well, I read this piece this morning, and then you and Kaya were kind enough to come um, pick me up because I had driven my car directly into a wall. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's horrifying, but I think it's not worth just being horrified because to Jeremy Barber's point, like this is the current state of the business, and it is absolutely the agent's job to be like, let me steer you towards the best possible outcome in reality. Yeah. I think it's, you know, not to get too in the weeds, it's more of a manager's job to be like, here's how we get you to a different reality if possible, creatively or constructively. To your point, like, there's always been an uncomfortable relationship between art and commerce. There are always going to be opportunities for people who are not just creative writers, but creative problem solvers to spin gold out of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lego movie should have been trash. It's really good, mm-hmm. as is the sequel. They're really entertaining, thoughtful, funny movies. I'll take your word for it. Um, you can put it on your list after the Miyazaki movie. Yeah. Even, you know, Spider-Verse, speaking of Lord Miller again, like I, I think is a, a just an absolutely, I, th- I think it's a masterpiece. And it is very much soaked in IP and in the world that we live in at the moment. Good things can come from anywhere. And I definitely don't begrudge people trying to apply that part of their brains to solving something. Mm-hmm. It does appeal to not just a writer ego, but to any ego, to being like, can something good come from this? Look what I did. That has always been part of the business too. And also, you know, there are a lot of references in the piece to Greta Gerwig from home in Manhattan, where she has a newborn. And it's like, you want to get paid as a filmmaker. Sure. You got to play ball. Yeah, absolutely nothing. I have nothing bad to say well, about Greta Gerwig. Me either. Getting well, the bag or even making the movies that she wants to make. She in the, Also in this article, it mentions that her next project is to adapt at least two of the, the C.S. Books. Lewis Narnia books for Netflix. So she wants to be in the Spielberg, Christopher Nolan zone. She wants to make bl- yeah. like big, and, serious blockbuster and, entertainment. And I think it's also worth considering... The article or this this conversation never really accounts like it's not saying there can't be another Hal Ashby or Sidney Pollack. There can't be another Hal Ashby or Sidney Pollack making the movies they make and the choices they make and having multiple homes along the California coast. Mm-hmm. In the same way that we've said this personally, I don't know if we've we've alluded to this in the podcast, but like our experience showing up to New York City twenty plus years ago and occasionally being invited to parties or meeting people who were um, magazine editors or literary agents, and they had apartments that they owned. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you could have a career doing this and make money. That's gone. You cannot do that. So the idea of being a artistic filmmaker who is also rich. Right. That might who be gone. Who lives in New York or Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. Right. I think that yeah, that yeah. might be gone in the same way that that um, late stage capitalism has crushed all of our uh, aspirational dreams. But, I wanna, yeah. But good. The bigger thing coming out of this was, you know, we, we can look at like this IP factory that Mattel is turning mm-hmm. itself into and just like what the talent of this generation is spending its capital on, right? So I want to tie this into something I read this weekend by Richard Rushfield who does the Ankler newsletter or is one of 
he started it and is now that's now it's ongoing concern with lots of writers and it's actually a great subscription if people are looking for more information about the entertainment business and some really great columnists and he wrote a lot about he did this thing that was sort of like the Bill Pullman Independence Day speech but how to save like the entertainment industry and one of the things that he really zeroed in on is when Bob Iger decides like okay Disney's gonna buy Pixar Marvel and uh, and Lucasfilm and they are then eventually going to turn those things into those brands being bigger than the stories that they're telling themselves, mm-hmm. right? So the idea is that you would be a Star Wars fan rather than I really love A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not even the best example, but you would be a Marvel fan rather than I like Iron Man or I like... Uh, or the films of John Favreau. Right, but I don't feel necessarily compelled to have seen every single piece of content from opening credits to the post-credit stinger just so I have a complete understanding of this story that they don't even seem to have a grasp of themselves. And he was talking about how that created this sort of fatigue and it's also made it really complicated to make singularly interesting or compelling pieces of entertainment and I agree with him. And then I was thinking about that in relationship to Mattel who has obviously got this Barbie movie and obviously have a one-of-a-kind director and Greta Gerwig attached to it. They've got two of the most charismatic movie stars in the world starring as Barbie and Ken, an absolute murderer's row of people Mm -hmm. appearing in the film. It looks like Greta Gerwig has imbued this movie with as much creativity and singular vision as she did Lady Bird and Little Women. And subversion. I'm sure it's going to be really good. You know what I mean? I'm shocked because I'm on the record. I saw that first trailer and I was like, this is the death of everything. Apparently that was just a small peek at what it actually is or its ambitions. It might be good. Here's the thing. I just uh, don't think that that means people are going to become Mattel fans. And aside from all the queasiness I had watching, reading this, and it's like Mattel executives like looking over the shoulders of people and having six-hour conversations with Greta Gerwig about a line of dialogue and Barbie. And I'm sure you could just sub in any studio executive doing that to any director for the most part over the course of Hollywood history and all the sort of notes people get from studios anyway and it's like it's not no need to be like completely scandalized by that but this idea that movies will somehow anthropomorphize or i don't even know that's the right word but make human these objects that humans use for momentary acts of leisure in their childhood or whatever you know is i think kind of it's it's like honestly a false notion like the idea like you can do a he-man movie you can do a barbie movie but there's going to be a point where people are like i don't like they talk so much about that captain mason is that the major mason so this is the very obscure essentially out of print space toy that in that mattel made decades ago that inspired buzz lightyear yes and now tom hanks from Toy Story, is attached to Star in a movie yeah. based on this toy that no one knows and about. And they're like, it's going to be like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right. but for like adult... Well, there's a lot of this. Like Daniel Kaluuya is doing a Barney movie and it's going to be like A24. Right. And this article, like, again, we have to separate two things. This is smart business for this company that just makes one thing that is not that is pretty static in terms of its impressions and marketability and potential profit and saying we're an IP factory and we're open for business. And that's fun for them too, I'm sure. Yeah. To be like, let's let's let adults play with our toys in a way. And I don't think there is, you could be cynical about this, but the guy who's, who's inviting people to play Hot Wheels with him seems like a guy who just likes toys. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. What you're speaking to, I think, is something much deeper and more insidious, not just in entertainment, but in the culture. 
which is this idea that we should care about brands. Right. And profoundly, let me say, from the bottom of my 4th of July loving heart, fuck brands. Right. Like, this starts with the cult of, this goes like Lee Iacocca in the 80s, uh, Steve Jobs with Apple. This might be controversial, but I don't really care about the important legacy of a company or, frankly, like, who the company hires to, to or, or like, I, I'll still eat Martin's potato buns. Sorry. Yeah. They make a good bun. Right. You know what I, sorry, you know what I had at the ball game yesterday? An ice cold Bud Light. Why are you saying sorry to me? <laughs> because you know what, Chris? The woke mind virus is a real uh. thing. I, but the reason I say this is because I, I was noticing this too. I went, um, you know, Marvel, maybe I think it was the first company that at this beginning of their movies, they have that little like flip book of yeah. past Marvel things. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you're within the universe now. And now um, everybody does that. And uh, this past weekend. Because otherwise I would be like, am I in the Marvel yeah. universe right now? I'm, what is happening? Am I a scroll? Yeah. My uh, a buddy of mine, Brian Brown, uh, and his writing partner, Elliot DiGiuseppe, wrote uh, this movie that just came out, uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Okay. Kids movie. Really enjoyed it. Took the girls. Um, DreamWorks Animation. The beginning of this movie is DreamWorks Animation, where it's not just the little boy on the moon, but the little boy is fishing. And as he's fishing, he's like, Shrek is there. And Puss in Boots. And all the friends brought to you by DreamWorks Animation. All my favorite DreamWorks dudes. Before the movie, there was a trailer for this movie called Migration, which is about some ducks flying. But the trailer is really for Illumination, the incredibly successful French studio that makes Minions and Super Mario Brothers and Sing. And so there's like a new Minions thing at the beginning. And then it's like, we go to the Sing universe. And it's like, trust us. Mm -hmm. We're your pals. You're going to love these ducks. And... I think we got to get past this, guys. And I think it's ending. Like, I, there's there is a sourness to this. I don't think so. I, I don't mean. I don't. I, I don't think people love it, but I don't think it's ending. I, I, I don't if, think. I don't think it's all, if, especially if like if these are the people who get to decide, like, hey, you know, it costs a hundred million dollars to make anything now, and two hundred million dollars mm-hmm. to market it. So, what kind of like pre-existing relationship do people have with the story that you're making? We will never see Michael Clayton again. I, well, you know, like two, two things. I I don't mean it's I don't mean to be utopian. I don't mean like it's ending in the next six to twelve months. I I think we're we are absolutely. You know, this is another franchise that you love, and you know, I know you watch a lot of Pixar movies, but we are a hundred percent in the like horrifically like enormous people in their floating chairs and their screens and milkshakes and never using their legs era mm-hmm. of these companies and these media brands, and I think that they are not that smart and they are fear-driven and they are not very agile. And I they're think- also, They're also in a lot of debt. And they're in a lot of debt <laughs> yeah. and they're constricting. I, I, I don't think audiences want this. And I also think audiences don't have a lot of choices at the moment. So yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's coming around the corner, but it's hard not to think that something has to change. You know, it, it, it's funny to be paying attention to the movies that you guys do on the rewatchables, which, you, you know, like- Are old. <laughs> Which are old, but we're not old for us, right? There, you, you do a bunch of like no, they, the, courtroom movies and things from the '90s at the moment. Yeah. And Primal that, Fear still feels as sort of fresh to me today as it did, you know, when I saw it. Fresher in some ways because I'm older. You know what I mean? Like it, it. But at the time, we weren't looking to those movies as the great standard bearer for art because this is also happening concurrently with like the first era of like of Miramax and Searchlight and independent movies in the 90s and that's what we were chasing and these were just the movies that were also in the multiplexes and good Mm -hmm. that kind of like big 
soft swing that can have some interesting things in it. I, I, that, that hasn't gone to television. You know, I feel, I feel like there is a place for that and a market for that, but everything swelled up at the same time and speed. So now these theaters are only built for events, you know, and to, and, and with 30 screens to play things every 15 minutes, which demands movies that blah, blah, blah. You don't need me to go into this, that you, there are many other podcasts that can no, get no, I, specifically. I understand. But, yeah. um, there is a rot here and in the rot isn't, I guess what I'm saying is to me, the correct response to this deep, deep artistic rot is not to be like Greta Gerwig and Daniel Kaluuya, you fucking sellouts. Right. They are not the virus here. They are just adapting. Yeah. The virus is the brands and the companies and the larger market forces that have put us in this position with very few choices except hoping that the fucking Barney movie is challenging. Yeah, I think that the thing we're facing now, and we can move on to The Idol if you want. I um, think The Idol's relevant to this. I've got, uh, I've got a segue for you. The thing we're facing now is that for every Andor, for every possibly, for every Barbie, for everything that you're Spider-verse, like... Good Spider-verse, good things. No, because I kind of, I take issue with the idea of like, Spider-Man is a character and it's a character, oh, a we may have made too many of these things of like, we don't need to reboot Batman every nine yeah. months. But like, my relationship to Spider-Man is different than my relationship to a board game or a That's doll right. or a whatever. You know what I mean? Or like, I remember a while ago, some I can't remember who was talking about how like, they wanted to do an Indiana Jones type movie and somebody was like, if you want to, you should pitch it as like Jack Daniels a Tennessee archaeologist slash like yes. whiskey brewer who, you know, it's like you had to like find a way to Trojan horse all this stuff in. And I just don't think people are that interested in horses. You know, I think people like actually would like to just have the message or the movie or the story you want to tell unadorned with also having to be, you know, yeah. about scrolls. And I do find that there's a, I make a distinction between some of the character stuff that we keep repeating and trying to make brands like human, which I hate. I think that's a great point. But I do think we'll probably be in a zone now where like every once in a while there will be something like Andor that we're like, holy fucking shit, this works not only as a Trojan horse, but as like something that rekindles the love that we had for this thing when we were kids in the first place, but also treats us like adults and doesn't insult our intelligence. And that's like, that's the best case, best possible scenario we could have. And then for the most part, we're going to have a lot of stuff that we watch the trailer and get excited or maybe you're like, haha, let's talk about this. And then we're like, this fucking sucks. And it sucks in a way, honestly, that to your point, and we, I don't know what your yeah. idol segue was going to be. I would take how the idol was bad right. in some ways, a hundred times out of a hundred over how a lot of shit is just mid. That, that is my point. And we, and we can segue, but I do think it's worth noting not to be like the, the doomsayers and we still want people to listen to the podcast, but things are worse. Like, things broadly, I think everyone knows that in the world, but, like, things are worse. TV is worse. Movies are worse. It's all worse now than it was just a few years ago. And I don't have a solution. And if it's it wasn't, better. and we were just getting older, yeah, people would be going to the movies. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> like, I, I, if it wasn't worse, I think that there would be, like, more of a relationship to the films, and people would just be like, you guys just don't get it. Yeah. Quantumania is sick. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody thinks that, really. Paul Rudd certainly doesn't think that, you know? Um there's another great podcast put out by this very same company, The Ringer, The Town, and I was listening to to Matt Bellany and Lucas Shaw were saying something about Secret Invasion just before it came out, and they were saying, you know, I, I think someone was just sort of glibly saying, like, you know, Marvel 
maybe it was going to be Marvel's Andor. And first of all, we would have loved that. Mm -hmm. There's no question. But also, Marvel doesn't want to fucking Andor. Andor isn't a success. They don't want to make more of that. People didn't watch it except us, you know? And Andor is so worthy and so phenomenal and good, not good, comma, but. It's just good. Yes. But that's not the business these companies are in. That is a... That was a byproduct. And in the case of Andor, I think it's essentially a shrug. You know, another point that I did see made before that we should pivot, this is all getting really old. You know, like the people in charge of these brands, in charge of these companies might, you know, strip mining and scraping the memories and the childhoods of old stuff. Uh-huh. That there's diminishing returns there. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Are, are we reaching the limits of like millennial memory? And millennial brands like Barney, where's the new stuff, man? I, I, or do we so, do we really want to know what the new stuff is? Yeah, that's scary. Maybe <laughs> Kyle will tell us about it later off air. So you're, the point that you want, we should we should get to the finale of the Idol, and I it's exactly the point I wanted to make, which is before who who knows who knows where this conversation will take us? Who knows if we'll be negative? <laughs> but I do want to say we should treasure this moment, yeah, because the Idol is bad, in my opinion. In a very uh, rare way these days. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is we grew up in a time when there were real turkeys made. When there was great ambition and ideas and money and talent were put in the service of things that were just kind of catastrophically crazy. Like mm-hmm. weird. Like who agreed to this? It came from the beating heart or fervid mind of somebody. Yeah. And Motherfuckers were making Dr. Moreau. Yes, and that was, Marlon Brando was in that movie, right? Yeah. And that was released into theaters because that's what you did. We made this. We might as well we'll put it out. Yeah. Because that's what we, that's what there was. That doesn't really happen so much anymore because everything is much more prescribed, much more careful, much more IP-driven. And when it is IP-driven and you have to hit a release date like you did with The Flash, you continue to spend money on it to smooth out edges or to make it noisier or make it louder or make it more in line with other stories that you might be interested in seeing or lard it with things that might make some segments of the audience cheer or feel something because it connects to something else that they saw. So things are bad in an incredibly boring way. Like just big, noisy, sloppy, dumb, bad. Just like a hundred people tried to fix this and this is what they did. Yes. And you can feel the sweat. And sometimes there are a couple things that came out of it and you end up saying kind of your version of what I was saying before about well, it, it's certainly interesting that they tried to solve the problem about making a movie about a card game. How interesting. Yeah. They tried. We say things like that on this podcast all the time. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Idol by dint of uh, the egos and reputations of everyone involved. Are you an idol gang? 100% no. Okay. I want to be like very, like I want to put on my like my mo- my cleanest, most new, new critic hat that I threw the out text. the window. Yeah. And I think this was one of the worst hours of television I can remember seeing. Okay. It was absolutely crazy, comma, boring, comma, incoherent. I mean, I, and we can get into it. But this was... It was, it, it was the, what's the quote about how all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way? <laughs> yeah, right. Tolstoy. Who? Right? I, what's the Tolstoy IP? Who controls that these days? Um, <laughs> Putin. <laughs> great point. Probably tough to wrench that out. <laughs> Wagner Group. The Wagner Group took it. It's the ultimate heist Isn't movie. Isn't that Tolstoy? Isn't it Anna? Even more so than, yes, yeah. even more so. Um, I took that down once. Me too. That score, yeah. You want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Maybe once we run out of Hollywood next yeah. week. Uh, or we're run out of Hollywood next week. That could be our summer project. Rereading Tolstoy? Yeah. Okay, let's, we're going to bring you in on that in a second. Just for the, just run the numbers. <laughs> guys, like, oh, shit. <laughs> These guys. Um, Russia's summer. <laughs> <laughs> Hard pivot. Have you seen commercials yeah. for, do you remember there's a, no no brand, and we hate brands, right? Yeah, right. I've already said this, but. but I have, we don't hate but, brands. But I just don't need to see a film about I them. I like, I would yeah. see a movie about Thomas's English muffins. Yeah. But like, like Stoli vodka is now not Stolichnaya. It's just Stoli. And it's like made in Latvia. Did we mention <laughs> how great it is in Latvia? We make vodka here. Have some. Just a little west. Um, just, we're just going to inch it. Anyway. Yeah. I don't think people are used to seeing things that are bad like this in a unique way. Um, I think people are used to seeing bad like the Lord of the Rings series, which costs close to a billion dollars to be uh, to be 100% mid. That's my take. That's my that's my gentle, positive take. And yeah. I don't disagree with you that I would rather see artists make this is this is where the subjective part comes in. Make a mistake. I don't think the people involved think it's a mistake. But I'd rather see people do something yeah, like that. Yeah, and if you think that Star X out there hasn't done things so that like they look a certain way or they like the the movie centers them or that they are standing on an apple box so that they're taller than everyone mm-hmm. like the idea that like this was a uh like a pure ego trip for Abel and that they were like making this show to make him look as cool and interesting as possible i think is now that we have seen the entire thing like you can now safely assume that this was not that like, I don't think Abel made this because he was like, what I need everybody to see is like, what, like a cool guy I am. And, you know, like the, this is, yeah. It, in a lot of ways, like all the stuff that he was saying in the beginning and in the interviews where he was just like, I think this guy's funny. He has a rat tail. I don't understand why people think like he's like supposed to be a God. Like he's, he's sort of vacant and he is, he was, he's a joke. And I think by the end of the series, regardless of how you felt about it, that was proved true. Except she's in love with him. Right. 
so that argument. So here's what I I feel a little bit like. Um, I feel like you should like be Ruben in Ocean's Eleven, where you're uh-huh. like, I have no doubt that you can get yourself out of the casino, <laughs> but once you do, you're in the middle of the fucking desert. Like that's me right now. <laughs> um, I obviously have more time for the show than you did. Mm-hmm. I, I think I like. I think we gave the same. And I also of time. think that like I still even in this episode there was mm-hmm. like a ton of stuff that Sam did, like Levinson did, directorially, like just Jocelyn like running down the hallway barefoot and like the okay. long far away shot of that. Like just compositionally, mood wise, so much stuff in this where I was like, you just don't get that in 95% of television. I like the way he shot three actors at SoFi Stadium being like, remember the crazy things that have happened? So this is the problem the is that weeks? at least to our eyes, at least I'll say me, at least to my eyes, yeah. whatever is the story with why it was five episodes and how many episodes it was supposed to be and if it was always going to be five episodes and maybe there will be some journalism that kind of explains this or interviews with Sam and stuff like that. It was supposed to, whatever it was supposed to be, it did not feel like this was the complete show. To me, it felt like we got up to a point where you essentially have like Jocelyn's comeback is established in that room where they do the showcase for Eli Roth and Jane Adams and and Azaria and Divine. Do, do you think executives at Live Nation are like, finally, my truth is on screen? We can talk about the reality. I mean, like, mm-hmm. the yes, I, I know what you mean. And then there is this title card, what is it, six weeks mm-hmm, later, mm-hmm. where Jocelyn has gone on an absolutely unprecedented hit parade in American pop music history not seen since Motown. There has been a Vanity Fair article that is truly a crime against the ethics of journalism because it has been changed twice at the behest of executives. No, no, but but there was a meeting in a parking garage. And we know from American history that if you do that with a journalist, it's okay. And that has torpedoed this guy Tedros's life to the point where he is uh, exiled from... He had to give up the club. Yes, he had to give up the club. Did we ever find out what the name of the club was? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think so. Maybe that's where Dan Levy is. He's running the club now. Um, <laughs> and then we jump ahead in time to SoFi. I thought, like, honestly, aside from the Greek chorus explaining what mm. the show, what happened on the show while we weren't lo- seeing it, the SoFi stuff was cool. Like, the shots of her in the, in the tunnels and, like, walking out on stage and stuff well, like that. Like, all that, the way that they shot that was really neat. Well, they had fun. I mean, again, this is this is a theme, a recurring theme in this podcast. And then to which your is, point, you're referencing the three sort of like Eli Roth, Hank Azaria, Divine, and Jane Adams, and they're all standing there, and they just like tell us everything that's happened in the last six weeks and how they like who could believe it? We've got her. She's doing and, great. And, and they've all gone in together on a yacht called Happiness, and <laughs> yes. they're going to retire <laughs> yes because they finally Literally. got that guy out of her life. Yes, and they got what they needed out of him. Um, but no. Okay. So the thing that I was going to say that is a kind of a theme in this podcast is like, look, there's the pure act of creation that you can do if you are a painter alone in the studio or a novelist. And then there is the essential fact of making movies or TV or music that they are deeply collaborative in ways that aren't often reflected in the um, who gets the credit mm-hmm. uh, or who, who who's talked about as the auteur or the star or the singer or whatever. And that is a good thing. And that appeals to people who have other parts of their brain that are collaborative, that are problem solving. And so if you just pull, pull way back in a macro sense, and you look at this entire idol project as something that started one way, went way down the road, made five episodes, maybe in, who knows, maybe that was an entire season of a television show that whoever involved did not like, that that version was thrown away. And then the people who were left were like, 
So you're not new criticism in it anymore. I'm just saying there's a version of it where this is, I am trying to keep this a little bit clean and say like, I can do it. I can make the Kessel run in whatever. Yeah. Like we can do this <laughs> and we can use, I don't remember what that was. Was that in solo? I just like um, the idea of the weekend listening to this podcast and you're like making spice run jokes. I feel like that's the first thing that I've said that he would like. <laughs> he's a big uh, Parsec guy. <laughs> he's, no, but he's concerned about the Mattel IP rate um, and about my experience at Dodger Stadium. Um, and that idea that is also very rare, especially at this level of art making of like, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're going to film at Abel's house and then he has a show coming up at SoFi and we're going to do a lot of filming there and we're going to yeah. bring Lily Rose out on stage and film part of the show that way in front of the fans and that's got to feel exciting, right? Like we're just doing it ourselves. Sure. We're making it go and we're making it up as we go along. So I don't begrudge the people who were doing that and in potentially enjoying it you know, I feel like Divine Joy Randolph had an interview with Vulture where she was talking about the vibe and the spirit. And Jane Adams had a similar one with Vanity Fair, yeah, that, ironically, that, that, but where that, she was just like, th that, this was an awesome if set. If you trust I the people Sam. you're with, yeah. like that could be really fun. And clearly, The weekend comes from a tradition like that too, where it's like, you get nothing, you get nothing in the studio, then you go home and then you're, you're getting high with your friends and you record something that is a worldwide hit. Like that's all possible. Mm-hmm. This is, that, this is the end of my positivity, though. Right. Because it doesn't always result in something worthwhile or even functionally good. And so if you go through it, there are just a couple Achilles heels that I don't think this, this, this show could overcome. One of which is that it is about music. And I thought the music was pretty bad and pretty uncompelling. That is presented. Do you and mean created. specifically like the music that's playing in the background, or like Jocelyn's songs? No, the songs that Jocelyn and her crew of cultist geniuses yeah. produce when they do this review. There is a an uncanny valley that is you need to traverse in these things, and we've talked about it in relation to Daisy Jones. I think you've referred to in the past the that thing you do issue, which is a movie well, that about thing you do the is like the reverse. Song it's ever. like that thing you do is like the entire thing is about the success of this song. That has to be a, if the song earworm. itself. Yes is annoying to 80% of the people watching the movie. They're just going to be like, I never believe this. All these people are bad at their right. jobs. So they actually wind up getting a perfect pop rock song. Yes, from the late Adam Schlesinger. I definitely was watching this, and I, I know exactly what you mean, where it's just like you're watching so, this. So I even, to the, to the extent, with a no disrespect to the artists who were involved in making the music, yeah. or Mike Dean, who seems like he's... Uh, Has someone told him he was on a TV show? Does he know he's no longer on a TV show? Mm -hmm. Is he still... Um, I think that you could even make the argument that these people are, in fact, not supposed to be geniuses, but that their yes. craven kind of like approach to the loins of the people in power who are sitting there, like sexualizing every single person in that room mm -hmm. for the most part, and like trying to like eroticize like the transactional relationship that they have is exactly like kind of the point where it's like you can get any, like sex is the thing that is going to get you what you want. And this is and what that's I, the terrifying, like, yeah. And this is kind of my ultimate point about the show. I think that ultimately it was kind of cowardly and ultimately it was kind of conservative because they, they made a big show at the beginning being like, this is dangerous. This is provocative. Like you're just not, you're, you're not cool. You can't hang. You're like Leia at the, at the party by the pool. We're just going to spray you with our super soakers because we're having fun over here. Mm -hmm. We're fucking around. Uh-huh. And in the end, it was incredibly, I guess, just trying to point out that sometimes the art business is more business and is cynical. Because if the ultimate point is these musicians are just hypersexualized and the people who are in charge of promoting them are idiots, 
are craven idiots, then nothing matters. You know, if, if your most compelling argument is sex sells, okay. If mm-hmm. your second most compelling argument is these chicks will make up abuse claims. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's so not that's provocative. Where it gets that's in- a little, but, but, but ultimately, like, if it's about nothing, if it's about pointing out nihilistically that there's nothing of value here, I don't think that's particularly brave. I don't know insightful. that that's what it was. And I think that there's a ambiguity works until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this, the, I, frankly, hilariously, it needed another episode. It needed another episode to figure out when she's like, it's a new hairbrush. And he's right. like, fuck. He's not say that, but that's what but his that, face it's, does. It's supposed to be that kind of moment. Like, but oh I, my I, God. But like, I literally spent way too much time trying to be like, so did she always know? Because the hairbrush stuff happens in three. In four, she realizes Diane comes over and finds out that Tedros had always sort of been angling mm-hmm. to insinuate himself in her life. So she did not know he was a con man the entire time, right? So the idea is basically like, did she make up this hairbrush well, story entirely? I, I, I get. I think the the abuse was real, but the hairbrush was no. Fake. I, I think what it what it what it wants to suggest is that she's the master manipulator, right? That she got what she wanted out of this, and that he was always her pawn. And she's like, you're mine now. That she was always the one. And who I, was a, I actually who, because because a pop star is a cult leader. Yes, right. But because the show, whether for budget reasons or because of the lack of interest otherwise, is so deeply claustrophobic, we don't have any sense of fandom or the larger world. The show seems completely uninterested in that. It's mostly interested in like hot people sleeping on top of each other and saying fuck every second word. So th- I, don't, I don't have any larger sense of what any of this uh, means or is, yeah. is trying to say. My takeaway was that they were reaching for a real oh shit moment, like at the end of something where you realize that the, the like basic instinct kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, but, but it wasn't an erotic thriller. Because there were no thrills, and there was very little. But is there, are you reacting to how you think it was sold to you, or are you reacting to what no, you no, saw? No. Yeah. I'm new critic, buddy. Just the text. Okay. It, it was. It was really weird. I just wanted more, honestly. Like you, I'm not. I'm not you, joking. You. you are I wanted in the to know what happened. I. I, I feel like the, I got TV brained on this one, where uh-huh. like at the end of it. I was fine just floating on vibes and floating on mood and atmosphere and mm-hmm. and all of these sort of more ephemeral qualities. And then weirdly at the end, I got like TV'd out and I was just like, so wait, like, wh- like what happened to like, what was the, what I, I wanted more of her being like, I needed this guy out of my life. We got him out of my life. And then now I'm sitting alone smoking because I realized like all the life that was in this place was around this dude, you know, like, but he's a joke. So she's a joke. What just, Pick a side. But that's the other thing is, is like Nikki's like, you're a genius. And then in the next scene, she's like, let's get this guy the fuck out of here. Like, I can't tell like what, I actually couldn't tell what was real. It's chaos. And maybe, yeah. There is, I, again, like when, if and when Sam does interviews or, 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 or talks about it, you could, you can tell a version of this with intention. And that's true of anything made by people who take their work seriously. And I, and I, and I want to be sincere about that. But new critic over here, just talking about the text. It was a it was a it was a really confounding mess mm-hmm. because what what was it ultimately what was this other than an act of ego because it didn't leave us with any story characters emotion message theme 
sensation. You know, I, I, I felt gross and numb. I don't even know if World Class Center is getting released now because it got kind of lost in legal limbo. I think you can hear it on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean in the world of the show? Yeah. The legal limbo. But that was a, to see Diane, a character with just such strong It'd be like motivations. like lost rec- recordings from Gaucho. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's exactly like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was... It was kind of a it was, it was kind of a bummer. I mean, were, did, were you were you choked up when when Leia finally left? I wanted to know what was in the letter. I wanted to see Jocelyn reading the letter. Right. You know, I wanted to kind of. I mean, I guess Dear I just Joss, I feel like so making a makeup brand with you <laughs> was the dream of my life. <laughs> but I have been hired by the Mattel Corporation. <laughs> but really, like we start this episode, and she's like, "Are you fucking still here? Get the fuck out of here!" And he's like, "No." And then that scene plays out five more times, except a couple cutaways to Leia being like, "Yeah." Yeah, day 16. Also, like, is Xander full Tedros cult brainwashed? Is he Does doing something with Jocelyn? Yeah, right, right. There's questions. There's do, questions. Do any of us? I mean, you were Hank Azaria's plan A, plan B. What was plan C, do you think? Because plan B, the one that he really likes, is invoking the awesome power of a monthly magazine. Yeah. <laughs> That is just a keen sense. <laughs> to, to get this guy canceled. To real, ch- really change the narrative. Um, I mean... It's so funny, too, that we you did every episode with me. Of course I did. You, well, you know, you're an, you're an amazing guy sometimes, you know? Thanks. Thanks. I, I, I'll go on journeys with you, but I also do think that this show, and I we are not... Surprisingly, I think we will continue to talk about this show through this year of television because... <laughs> for the rest of our lives. For the rest, it's going to carry this with me like a scar. No, because this is at this really fraught moment that we're talking about where what can get made, what gets made, who can work on things, you know, this labor unrest and everything is really in flux. And this got made. Yeah. And I... I, Of course it got made. It's the fucking weekend, man. Like he just sold out SoFi. Like he's got the biggest song in the history of Spotify. Like it's not like, oh my God, how'd the weekend get this one off the ground? Yes. And he is the IP here, I guess. And I, I... I'm curious if it's damaged the brand, but that's not for me to say. Yeah, I think I, I've, I've heard people say like, oh, the, how will the weekend recover from this? I think he's going to be fine. What, I think he'll be okay. His yeah. house looks nice. Um, I don't mean it like that. I don't think this is going to be like, you're, you're, you suck, man. Like, I think it's like, I think that people are also probably like, I mean, I have no idea, but I bet people's relationship with the weekend is such that they could be like, that was a performance he was doing, and now I'm going to go listen to his music again. Yeah, I think the the bops stay bops. Yeah, just like they do with this podcast. But I, but I also, <laughs> it's tough sometimes from with the, the 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 vantage point that we that we take, even within not just within this episode of the watch, but in the larger conversation, because it's like fight the real enemy here, and for as much as I, yeah, right really, really dislike the show. You and still, I disliked everything you still, about like, it. want it to exist. Or want it, the, well, the conditions under which it, 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 you want something like this to be able to come th- into the world. There's another version of it too where you say, Sam Levinson makes Euphoria, which is a show that I also don't have a lot of time for, but I respect uh, from a distance. And I like this show. HBO, I love and, show. and many people, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to create a straw man thing. It's like, it is a genuine, huge phenomena right. and a hit. And it is not based on IP. And it is about people. Mm-hmm. And that is something that he made for HBO using the power of a star, Zendaya, who chose to do that. And HBO empowered him to do it and took a chance on it and spent money on it. And that is a, that weirdly, like if you take away the specifics of the show, that's a kind of prescription 
for the industry. Like we would want more things like that. Yeah. So when the per- the people responsible for that come and say, we have another thing for you, it is it is good stewardship to be like, we're interested, we're listening, we're going to do it, right? Right. Like that is, that we want more of that, but I have a hard time getting these words out of my mouth I know. because I had such problems with this result. I appreciate you engaging with me thoughtfully on this subject. I mean, I, and I think that you did a good job today. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I think you did a good job today. Uh, we should wrap it up there. Yeah. Thanks to Kai McMullen for producing us. This is our only show this week. Because we got to start picking up Russian novels. Because uh, next week is, is where we begin War and Peace. Um, yeah. So, no, we're we'll only going to read Latvian novels. On Monday. And I think Monday we'll mm. be talking about the new Soderbergh show, Full Circle. That's exciting. And maybe we'll do some Secret Invasion catch up or some Gemstones catch up. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. 